0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the brilliant Philippa Perry. She's an author, psychotherapist, factual presenter for TV and radio and someone I've been a fan of since I read her book called How to Stay Sane back in 2012. She also has incredible style, love her glasses, love her haircut. Uh, She's a very inspirational woman and I'm really thrilled that I got to go around to her house and interview her. So after volunteering for the Samaritans, Philippa trained as a psychotherapist and worked in the mental health field for several years before writing her first novel, graphic novel, Couch Fiction, which laid bare the process of psychotherapy and it's was published in 2010. Philippa is also an agony aunt for Red magazine and writes for The Guardian. She has presented several documentaries, including The Truth About Children Who Lie for BBC Radio 4, Being Bipolar for Channel 4 and How to Be a Surrealist with Philippa Perry for BBC4. She's also married to Grayson Perry, who is a absolute legend as well. So couple goals, basically. Her most recent book, though, is probably what people know her for at the moment. It's gone mad. Everyone's read it. It's absolutely everywhere. And it's such a great book. It's called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and your children will be glad that you did. And it was a Sunday Times number one bestseller beating Michelle Obama for a few weeks. It's a book all about what really matters and what behaviour is important to avoid. And it's just a book about the vital do's and don'ts of parenting, basically. And I'm not a parent, but I found it super interesting. And also, I feel like a lot of the advice in the book can be used for other relationships in your life as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And thanks again for listening. If you like it, please leave a rating or a review. I'd be really grateful for that. And here it is. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be in Philippa Perry's kitchen. So thanks for having me. You're welcome. So your book, the book you wish your parents had read, is kind of everywhere at the moment and also has been a bestseller immediately. Beating Michelle Obama only for two weeks but still I meet Michelle since she's done her
1: o2 gig
0: I feel <laughs> she's on top of me again how amazing and what a signal I'm assuming that this is a
1: topic people want to talk about and read about well the thing is there are a lot of parenting books out there um, but what I'm concentrating on is what's right under our nose and we never talk about which is the relationship you have with each child or your child if you've only got one And we never talk about the relationship. We talk about how we get them to do this or that or how they might develop into one thing or another or how you can go to sleep early or stuff like this. But all those books really are about how to manipulate your child or how to get your child to do stuff or to cooperate. And there's nothing about the relationship. And if you think about it, what a child needs more than anything else in the world is a sanctuary and a relational sanctuary as it were so a relationship that they can confide in and feel safe in and use as a springboard not a relationship they feel they have to hide from because a lot of people say oh you mustn't be friends with your children and I think well that's a terrible shame I think you should be friends with your children and it's desirable to be friends with your children The thing is, why we think that isn't desirable is that people don't usually equate being friends with someone and putting down boundaries. You can put down boundaries with your friends, and you need to put boundaries down with your children. Children need love plus boundaries. They need to know where they stand, how far they can go, and all of that. And it's just that we sort of usually learn that other people do have boundaries somehow or other that we don't trespass too far on the boundaries of our, of our friends and if we do that's it it's usually you know a bit of an eruption if we do um but you can put down boundaries and still be friends both with your children and your friends actually
0: yeah because i when i think friend i think respect so i want to have respectful and i feel like to be a parent, surely you need to respect your parents and they need to respect
1: you. There's always a lot of talk about children need to respect their parents, but in in order to learn how to respect, you need to be respected. And of course, a lot of this will come normally and naturally to people that they they themselves were treated with respect. So they'll respect their children. They themselves um, were liked as well as loved by their parents. So they'll do the same to their children. But unfortunately, there's a great many of us that didn't have that sort of op- upbringing we had the sort of upbringing where parents believed that you couldn't be friends with your children or shouldn't be friends with your children and the sort of upbringing where parents thought that they had to be right about everything and so people that pay the price of that are usually the children who then have to bear the bear being wrong
0: because mm, the opening sort of intro chapter you 're basically saying that you know things can repeat themselves or things that you do might be from when you were a child, and just yeah. to reflect back on your own I mean childhood
1: a lot of our instincts are really good, for instance, the instinct to respond to say you know a cry from a baby, we feel alerted, we feel we want to go and comfort the baby, be with the baby, um, and that sort of cry is called in the mammalian kingdom. A coercive cry. It's the sort of cry a zebra will do to the herd to say a lion's coming or something. You can't help but be pulled to obey it. And babies have this coercive cry and you can't help but be pulled to obey it. But then we've got the culture coming in saying, oh, no, you mustn't. It's dangerous. And so people have had sort of skewed upbringings, so they don't know whether to int- which instinct to trust—the enculturated one or the m- mammalian one. That's so interesting because I don't know if this
0: is an assumption, but do you think that it used to be that you couldn't really talk about these things? Like, is this a generational thing of now everyone's being very honest about parenting?
1: I think people did talk about them, but what they never talked about was the what I call the dark side of parenting like we're supposed to love mm. our little cherubs all the time and we don't because you know if if something has the power to make you love them they also have the power to disappoint and frustrate you it, it makes sense and so a lot of the time uh, parents are disappointed and frustrated uh, a line that got cut out of the book which I'm quite sad about um, you know but when you edit a book some things just have to go was when I was interviewing this one mother, she said, everybody pretends that being a parent is this jolly, happy, running through meadows, fun time. And actually, what it is, is a fine line between feeling a bit down and downright clinical depression. And I think a lot of parents really feel the lack of spontaneity in their lives, really feel the lack of choice, really feel that they're, you know, tethered down to staying where the school is or where their kids' friends are, or feel that they have to get along with someone they might not get along with for the sake of the children. And and so these things are difficult, Mm. They are not easy. They're not easy to negotiate. Nobody, I don't think, welcomes the lack, lack of choice and spontaneity that, that happens when you become a parent. It still feels like such a taboo and such a like whisper in the pub. I think it's really good to address those feelings and what they're about and where they come from. I, if you feel something like particularly charged, like you're really irritated with your child... Um, and all they want to do is just insist on going to the shop or something and you just, oh, you can't stand it anymore. What it's usually about is that it's not that you want to push your child away, it's that you want to push away the feelings your child has triggered in you. And those feelings, we tend to assume they're to do with what is happening in the present, but they're usually to do with what happened in the past And we feel in danger of having how we felt when we were in the same position as our child, maybe vulnerable, maybe trapped, maybe lack of choice, maybe really sad and uncomforted, maybe lonely, whatever it was. And our child threatens to trigger it in us, whatever age our children are they are likely to reawaken in us feelings that we may have had at their age triggers are so interesting to me because they they
0: happen all the time don't they they just they can just come and get you and then afterwards you think wow that was a weird thing like i was this is a weird example but i was in um selfridges the other day and i dropped something and it like smashed and this woman like who worked there ran over and was like what what why have you do- and I was like oh, I'm so sorry and then I kind of like had this horrible like shame moment and I was like oh I think that's because I used to get told off so much for dropping things when I was little yeah. and it was
1: like this weird thing doesn't yeah. go away and you know if you had a child and they were clumsy and they drop things like we are before we learn our motor <laughs> skills it's perfectly normal stage to go through when we haven't got the dexterity of an adult but our very incompetence irritates our parents because <laughs> yeah. they were irritated. Their, their parents were irritated at the same thing. And it's that irritation that's been passed down. And we are, I mean, it's a perfectly normal thing that a child has got, you know, not got the grip of an adult or whatever or, or so the motor clumsy. skills. Yeah, well, we all were. And we all learn these skills at different times. You know, some of us m- might learn motor skills you know, it might take us longer than others. Like some can do maths at four, others never learn it. Some can read and write very easily. Others really struggle. I mean, it's the same with gripping.
0: Do you think all of this information and knowledge is could be quite scary to some people reading it thinking, oh God, I have such a major impact on a person's life like forever?
1: The relationship you have with both of your parents or even with an absence of a parent is the most formative and important relationship of your life. Mm. And sometimes we are thinking, I'm nothing like my parents, but we're actually completely bound up in them because we're in reaction against them rather than... Because we, we think we're either with them or against them. There's that um, phrase in political life, you're either with me or against me. It's completely... Um, oversimplistic. But I think that's how we can respond to our parents too.
0: In this world of such overwhelm and crap everywhere on the internet and like fake news and weird things going on in, the, in politics, I feel like your book is like this anchor of, I feel like all of your many years of working in this industry, it's like it is a bit of a hug in a book.
1: I try to normalize whatever feelings parents have at whatever stage the parent and the baby is at. Um, and I unpack what may be happening. And if you're stuck in negative cycles of, you know, winning and losing or mutual coercion or, um, you know, avoiding each other or something. If you're stuck in a negative cycle, I give you an alternative so you don't have to be stuck in it. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can play it different.
0: When you do your events and kind of um, the publicity of the book, do you ever get people coming over to you and asking like individual questions? Can that be a bit fill on yeah. sometimes? Well,
1: I've only got a limited amount of time um, and I, you know, I've been an agony aunt for years, so I do get quite a lot of questions anyway. Um, I've also been on Twitter for years so I'm pretty good at replying in quite a few characters and pointing people in the right directions but obviously I can't give someone a therapy session then and there even though it looks like they, lo- they, they, they need it um, but I feel like this book As I pass on so much of what I know in ordinary language, you can use it a bit like therapy, whether you've had children or not, because it's about how you were formed and how you form others and how you can reform if, you know, something isn't working. I can't remember where I read
0: this, but um, I remember someone saying that agony aunts basically just see the same questions over and over and over again. Is that true? Like, are things rooted in the same sort of question every time?
1: Well, most problems are to do with not being able to relate to other human beings straightforwardly, you know, because of what happened to a person, they might have a bit of a a, a skewed problem area, but not be able to see it. I'm sure we've all got them actually. Mm. You know, we've all got our blind spots. Totally. And most most human problems are because we can't get along with each other, even though we might think, no, no, it's not that. I'm just stuck in my career. Well, you know, a career is all about getting on with other people.
0: Yes. And and I guess that's the heart and soul of this book, is it is about the one-on-one relationship.
1: Yeah, I don't do tips, but some people adopt like my suggestions and it, you know things turn around immediately so they're almost like a tip for yeah. instance um when setting boundaries i say never define the other person never define the child define yourself so it's not you are filthy you need to wash it's i would like you to wash i feel more comfortable if people wash their hands before eating or you just define yourself. You don't define the other person. If you think about it, isn't it horrible if someone defines you rather than says what they need? Like if you're at work and somebody says, you always give this report in late. It's it's just ridiculous. You've got to give it in a week earlier. But if they said to you, it's not working for me that you give the report in at the end of the month. What would work for me is if you could give it in a week before the end of the month. And you think, Oh, okay. This isn't working for them. I can rearrange stuff so it does work for them. Mm. Rather than I'm a late person and I'm getting everything wrong. Well, you can you can do one. You know, so it's like that immediate defence. So you you put down a boundary in a way that doesn't make the other person defensive. You can all get along much better.
0: So actually, it's it's not just between
1: parent and child. This is like well, all around parents. The parent-child relationship is a very special relationship because it, it's—it's a—it's a formative relationship. The child had most of their forming in that relationship, but it's not that different from how we all relate to each other anyway.
0: Mm.
1: The chap—the bit in the book that
0: I kind of went straight to was—and you, you've probably been asked about this a lot, but um, just like the time we're in, where we are all looking at our phones more than before, when they didn't exist. Um, Do you think that's made this parenting conversation a little bit more, well, a little bit more tense? Because everyone's judging each other, it seems, like way more.
1: Uh, We always did judge each other. (laughs) Um, It makes us feel so much better if we can find a parent that's doing it even worse than we are. I mean, that's sort of like, haha, but I'm not that bad. The phone thing um, is interesting, because people are now turning up at primary school with much less vocabulary than they used to have which makes me think that whoever's looking after them are looking at their phones more for connection rather than as they're with the child getting connection from the child now we pick up our phone because we we want connection we want the feeling of joining in of 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 you know being informed and sort of less lonely really i mean i think a a phone is a sort of like like a sticking plaster for loneliness in a way and um so that's why we're so tempted to pick up the phone the whole time but the thing is the kid is even more lonely and wants you for their sense of connection and if you're on the phone then they won't get it so they'll have to play up to get it to get your attention or something you know it's not going to help anyone if you're on the phone the whole time
0: i feel like there's also this temptation of when you don't have children like i don't so big caveat to this i don't know anything um none of it (laughs) i i feel like there's this thing of like you think oh i'll do this this way And all my friends who have had children always said they thought they'd be a different type of mother or they thought they'd do it in a different way. And then reality just comes along and you you do, you know, put the iPad out and get on with things.
1: Yeah, I mean, we find it very difficult to uh, bear our child's misery, you know, because we feel it too with them. And so rather than explore and have a moment of connection with them through whatever they're unhappy about, which I look at the iPad, which is a way of pushing your child away, really. So of course, you'll do it from time to time. It just shouldn't be the go to habit. But of of course, we'll use distraction sometimes Mm. rather than find that moment of connection. I'm just saying, Don't make that the default position because what your child needs is being seen and connection. I mean, the most important thing for a human, especially a little baby human, is to be seen and got. Mm -hmm. You know how great it is when someone gets you, when they understand you? Well, that's what you really need when you're growing up. You need these moments of connection, these moments when you're both exactly on the same page. And the more moments like that that a child has, the more secure and relaxed and, and the less anxious they'll be.
0: Mm, I love that. And I love the example. There's loads of amazing examples in the book. But there's that one bit where there's the mother and she's um, her kids playing on the climbing frame.
1: I mean, what happened then was that that mother was never allowed on a climbing frame. So actually, she was kind of jealous of her kid. So that's where her shouting was coming from, because she wouldn't have been allowed on the climbing frame. And as far as she's concerned, her kid's throwing the opportunity for independence away by wanting help getting down. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean about the past comes back to bite you. That was just yes. a little example, and it comes back in little everyday ways like that. That might be happening like all the time, but it also comes back in bigger ways, like um, you know, if your dad left when you were two. You might not remember anything about it. Yet when your kid gets to be two, you might want to do a runner as well. But you don't know where that's coming from, where you think it's because life's intolerable with a kid. But actually, life's intolerable with the feelings the kid is triggering you. And all you have to do is unpack them, look at them, see they're not that scary, and then you'll be fine. I know I make it sound simple, but I know it's very difficult to do that work and you need a certain amount of courage to do it. But I just think it is simpler than messing up another life. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how you can't really appreciate your parents truly until you kind of get old enough to understand all the sacrifices.
1: It's very interesting that. And, and when you do have children, you think, oh, my God, my parents went through this. Huh? But I do stress that although, you know, now you can see what your parents went through and you can understand them a bit better I do stress it's really important to remember what it's like being a child so you can identify with your children it's easier mm. identifying with the grown-ups identify with baby you
0: I, I have you. this diary of when I was a teenager and I've kept it because it's really detailed of like my feelings at the time and the reason I've kept it is because I just want to remember what being a teenager was like if I do have a child because it's the weirdest, so intense. like most intense. Every page is like I'm having a personality transplant. Like I just want to remember that time because I think it could be easy to kind of dismiss it and be like, "Oh, they're being a grumpy teenager." But there's so much going on.
1: Yeah, it's a bit like teenagers see things in color, whereas we only see them in black and white. You mm. know, everything is like it's, full yes. on. Everything's so bright and, and yet, huge. Your frontal cortex cortex hasn't wired up yet, so. Your ability to think and reason isn't quite there yet, but your ability to feel is peaking.
0: My God. It's a
1: great, it's a great combo. It's
0: a great time and a bad time. But, um, good time. All good time. <laughs> but with the book, obviously you've been a psychotherapist for a long time. What made you write the book now?
1: I think... um It's a very difficult book to write. I I know it sort of reads quite easily. But I feel like no one could have written this book but you. But it was difficult to write because writing it meant, again, I had to face up to what what it feels like being a child, as Alice Miller, this psychoanalyst, says, the drama of being a child. And, you know, this tyrannical word happy is always thrown about and i do go on about that in the book
0: oh yeah about how the quest why are we so obsessed with happiness
1: be happy all the time it means like we just don't learn how to deal with all the other feelings and you know i did have to learn how to deal with all the other feelings but in adulthood and of course i've got resentment about that and so writing this book was difficult because I did get angry with my own parents and it's not their fault and it wasn't their fault and so I wanted to write a book that didn't get angry with parents because if I wrote a book that got angry with parents they weren't going to read it, were they? Mm. And also, I'm a parent and I'm sure my kids got enough to get angry with, with me as well so really, this sort of blame game helps nobody and also, I don't like the idea that, oh, I messed my children up, it's too late, I've ruined them. No, it isn't, because although the early years are the most formative, you're in a relationship. In, it's not a project you've, you've botched. It's an ongoing relationship, and it doesn't stop just when the kid gets to 18. It really doesn't. When your kid is 30 and and uh, you say to them, I'm really proud of the way you handled that or I love what you've done with, you know, that or God, the way you've built up your business or something like that. It means so much, a parental pride, more than any anything else. So you still have a massive influence. My daughter's written a book and... Um, she won't let me read it because she knows I'll find something nice to say about it, even <laughs> if I don't like it. She won't let me read it because, um, until it's published, because she says she could tell by looking at my face whether I liked it or not. And she doesn't want to take the risk that I don't think it's brilliant. Because you know each other so well. Yeah, she can read in my face. Yeah. If, if, You know there's no hiding from her you know she might have a crisis of confidence or something because parents Mm. have such influence so I say good on her do what you know you need to do for yourself and I cannot wait to read it once it's published me too (laughs) it must be funny because
0: I think with uh, any sort of therapist uh, even with Esther Perel and and uh, what she's doing people can't help but try and see like the human behind the guru that is like knows everything and it might be it must be interesting that I'm not a
1: guru (laughs) I am only a human I'm a human that has spent a lifetime trying to work out relationships and you know getting up to 60 was about time I wrote it all down in as friendly as and as accessible way as I could and that's what I've done and also in
0: such a way that you're not beating around the bush and I feel like it must get to that point where you don't have to. I don't know. I feel like you don't have to please anyone with this. You're just being totally honest.
1: I want to please everyone with this, but um, obviously I have to please myself as well.
0: Are you expecting people to, of all ages, to read it? I'm guessing they are already from
1: the well, readership. Well, when I, when I started writing it, I just thought I'd, I was doing it for parents, new parents, parents of children, parents of teens and parents of adult children because I wanted to improve their relationships, because that's good for the mental health of the child. If they've got a good pet parental relationship, Is the, the better your relationship with your parent, the better your mental health will be, really, the more open, the more confiding, you know, the more time they've got for you. Um, you know, it, it'll give your mental health a good chance not there's any guarantees with mental health you can have a great childhood and still have problems or a terrible childhood and be fine but it it, environment does play a massive factor in, in in good mental health so I was just thinking of that but because of course it's about relationships and we've all been children it's interesting I suppose to think about how we ourselves have been formed how we ourselves relate to others Mm. And so it is a book about relationships. But the most important relationship, I think, is between parent and child. So that is the primary relationship and the blueprint for subsequent relationships. So of course, it, it might be interesting to people who aren't parents too. In fact, you see, sound like you found it interesting and you're not a parent. So interesting. So interesting. And also, I guess even if
0: someone's reading it who doesn't really want to have a child ever it's still interesting unpicking your own childhood and your own parents and um it's kind of an amazing amazing thing when you get on well with your parents but it's also a scary thing because you need them so much and then you're like oh everyone's mortal and one yeah, day scarier. they will be gone and like it's almost like loving your parents being friends of your parents is is the best thing in the world but that can be quite scary as well yes
1: and we internalize our parents. Like, for instance, if you wake up in the night now and you're all alone, you probably don't scream and sob. Okay, that is because <laughs> well, not all the time. <laughs> not all the time. That is because you have internalized that it's okay. It feels a bit boring right now, but it, it'll be fine in the morning. I'll be fine. I mean, if you wake up in the middle of the night, you probably tell yourself, "I'll be fine." Okay, and um. How you've got to that point is that you internalize the soothing you got from your parents. Okay. Mm. So that is an example. So not only do you internalize their soothing, you internalize their positive regard for you. So that boosts up your self esteem a bit. You know, my mum likes me. My mum likes my book. So, you know, that makes you feel great Mm. there's so many little phrases that I will always repeat and I
0: know that they've come from them like you know when you're going through something and it's like have an early night you'll feel better tomorrow you see yeah it's sort of like
1: these sort of little soothing things that might actually almost be meaningless but they feel like giving yourself a stroke and of course so much of that is unconscious so you have internalized them but in um, a sort of unconscious way what I find really incredible is um how i look like my mother now like i look in the mirror i think oh there she mm. is and then it's almost like because i look like her what else of her is there mm. of course so much oh it's like that really lovely did you read
0: dolly alderton's column in about mo- mothers for mother's day it was the, the last line was something like we never have to be without our mothers because we are we will turn into them or it was almost yeah, like they're literally there in the mirror <laughs>
1: Yeah, you do look like them. Well, not everybody does, but I would, uh, I'd be quite glad um, to uh, not inherit her fear, (laughs) her, you know, fear of offending anyone, fear of forgetting anybody's birthday, fear of putting one foot in front of the other. You know, I'd be quite glad not to inherit that. But, you know,
0: obviously you do many different things and you don't just do one thing what other topics are you like really interested at the moment with the book this book being out
1: um actually i've uh just finished a documentary which i um started after i finished the book um about um origins of how we think today and i was looking at the victorian's and that the you know the 1890s was such a time of change in inventing things a bit like our own time so i looked at similarities between the 1890s and now and how it affected them thought how that was affecting now and i made a little documentary about it for bbc radio no not bbc radio 4 bbc 4 it'll be out uh, may june i think sometime incredible so uh yeah so that was interesting but i finished that subject now as well i'm uh, researching a documentary at the moment about hands and touch you know just little subjects not all enveloping <laughs> like me drowning for 5 years subjects yeah when i read the book i could tell this is a book
0: that it is there's so much so many years of work in it
1: there's only 77000 words in that but there were 250000 at one point wow i know oh but God. i wanted to make it readable yeah <laughs> so but uh, so like condensed
0: and so meaty as
1: well like yeah, every page I, is full of stuff yeah i i'd like every pay every sentence to be you know quotable yes rather than guff
0: yeah definitely uh thank you so much for doing this i know that you're in demand right now you know sorry
1: i'm in such a rush no not
0: at all and yeah thank you so great to meet you okay great thank you